So we're continuing in our series looking at the first words that Christ speaks to his disciples to gain insight into his character. I have a pretty vivid imagination. I think God gave us imaginations, and I like to use my imagination for all kinds of things. I'm imagining things about you right now. I'll leave that alone. No. Uh, I'm, I use my imagination, and maybe you're like me in this, that you try to imagine what it would be like to talk to God face to face. Have you ever done that? Like, you imagine what would it be like to have a face-to-face if, if God would say to you, hey, come have breakfast with me. Let's grab a cup of coffee. What would you talk about? What would he ask you? What would you say to him? What would that conversation be like? It's fun to use our imagination to think about that. And I've gone through stressful times in my life. Do you know the times in your life where you have a hard time sleeping because life is hard? and you're stressed out. For me, I can fall asleep really easily, but if my mind is racing and I'm struggling, I can't stay asleep. And so I find myself at different seasons of time waking up and wandering out into the kitchen because my mind is racing. And I, and I do this periodically. I'll sit down at the kitchen table and I'll imagine that Jesus is sitting across from me. And I'll talk to him. I'll have a conversation with him. I'll use my imagination because I know he's present always. Even if I can't see him with my eyes or hear him with my ears, I imagine him across the table from me and I talk to him and I share with him why I'm stressed and how I'm struggling and I ask him questions. Why is this happening? What's going on with this? I ask him to intervene and stop certain things. I ask him for peace and I, again, imagine he's there. And when I've made mistakes, I make mistakes and I make sinful, unwise choices. Because of my shame, I'll, I'll imagine him and I'll think, surely when I tell him my mistake, surely when I confess my sin, he'll probably look at me with eyes of shame and disappointment and say, you did it again. You screwed up again, Joe. You fell again, Joe. You failed me again, Joe, because that's how I view face-to-face conversations, and that's how my interactions with humans so often goes, that when I've made mistakes, I feel ashamed, and the person across from me makes me feel ashamed. So isn't that the way it would be with God? to use your imagination and think about a face-to-face with God, what would it be like? And in today's passage, in the scene that we're going to look at after Jesus rose from the dead, in John chapter 21, we get to see a face-to-face with the risen Christ, what it would be like. It's actually there. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 21, turn them on or open them up. John chapter 21, and it's this This face-to-face breakfast scene where Jesus has breakfast with his disciples. And there's a bunch of them there, but the two primary individuals, Jesus and this guy named Peter. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Peter so that you'll kind of have a context for this moment that takes place. Peter's a fisherman. He's a fiery personality. Jesus and Peter meet when Jesus was doing what Jesus does, preaching, and Peter was doing what Peter does, fishing. And Jesus is preaching, and a crowd comes around Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, can I get in your boat and use your boat as sort of a stage 
to speak because it's so crowded. I need a little bit of space from all these people so I can communicate to them. And Peter's like, sure, get in the boat. And Jesus preaches, and Jesus finishes preaching, and he turns to Peter and says, let's go fishing now. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. This isn't the time to go fishing. We fished all night, and it didn't go well, and we're not going fishing. And Jesus is like, yeah, we're going fishing. And Peter, okay. And so they throw their nets overboard, and they catch an incredible amount of fish. And in that moment, Peter recognizes he's in the presence of somebody pretty powerful, someone holy, because he was fishing all night, and I shouldn't be able to catch fish, and now all of a sudden I'm catching a ton of fish. He realizes he's in the presence of someone powerful, so he falls at Jesus' feet and says, you should probably leave me. I'm so sinful. And Jesus is like, I, I know you, Peter. I get you. Actually, I'm going to transform you. You have been a fisherman. Now I'm going to make you into a shepherd, a fisher of men, I'm going to transform you. And Peter leaves his nets and his fishing and his business and his family, and he goes and follows Jesus for three and a half years. And as the life of Christ goes, he gets towards the end, and before Jesus is betrayed by Judas, he tells Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Three times you're going to say in the next few hours, you don't know me. And Peter says, nah, I won't do that. I would die for you, Jesus. And it all plays out the way Jesus says. He's crucified. Before that happens, Peter denies him three times and runs. He hightails it out of there, leaves Jesus deserted in the moment maybe he needed him the most. And he dies, and he rises again from the dead. And the scene that we're going to look at is just a couple days after Jesus walks out of a grave alive. John chapter 21 Verse 1, and I want you to listen and look for the character, the attributes, the personality of Christ in how he interacts with people, with a disciple specifically, who the last time they talked, last time they talked, he said, you're going to deny me, and it happened. This is the first time they interact one-on-one. -on -one. John chapter 21, verse 1, afterwards, after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now just imagine these guys who left everything to follow Jesus They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. Jesus has been guiding them, teaching them, leading them. Now Jesus has died, rose again. He shows up once in a while, but he's not present. So they go back to what they normally do. They know fishing. So they go back to fishing. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, a fire of burning coals where there were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, 
Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Come and have breakfast with me, guys. Incredible. Because we don't expect that Jesus is going to show up on fishing trips, do we? I mean, isn't that safe to say that of all that Jesus has done, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords who just died and rose again. Is he going to come fishing? Is that what Jesus does? Of all the things he could be doing in this moment, all the things he taught them, all the miracles they've already seen, all the ways they failed him and deserted him, is he going to come on their fishing trip? I mean, he performs a miracle for them to sort of remind them Hey, guys, you can hear him yelling, Hey, guys, throw the net on the other side of the... They throw it, and they catch it in credit. Why did he do that? Maybe to remind them, gently teach them, Guys, we've been doing this for three and a half years together. Remember where I first found you? Where we first connected? Remember what I told you and taught you? And now I'm going to show you again, miraculously, who I am and what I do. I called you, and now you've gone back to do what you used to do. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. And when they get to shore, did you hear that Jesus had a fire going there? It's kind of cool to think that Jesus was a good boy scout. He knows how to make a fire, right? He made a fire, Jesus. And did you see Jesus cooked fish for them? Jesus knows how to cook. That's pretty cool. He knows how to cook, and Jesus is so incredibly hospitable that he's already prepared the meal for them, but they brought in more food and came in the door, and he fires up the grill again and says, I'll cook some of yours too. I mean, this is Jesus showing up before he ever speaks a word to them, before he teaches them, before he, before he uh, challenges them or tries to encourage them or equips them. He provides breakfast for them. I mean, that's just incredible to me. It shows me his character, that Jesus meets his children in the ordinary places of life. That Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, knows us, knows where to find us. Just think about it for a moment. Jesus knows your address. Jesus knows your phone number. Jesus knows your email address. Jesus knows your favorite chair. He knows your favorite channel. Jesus knows the favorite sweatshirt you like to wear when you need to just be cozy. Jesus knows your favorite meal. He knows. He knows you. He gets you. He knows the relationships. He knows where you sit at work. He knows your favorite job sites to go to. He knows the people you like to work with and the people you hate to work with. He knows you. He knows what makes you afraid. He knows what makes you anxious. He knows that when certain bait is put in front of you, it tempts you and can lead you astray. He knows you. 
He knows the things that grieve you, the things that pain you. He knows the dreams that you have, the hopes that you have. He gets you and understands you. He knows that you get fixated about things you've done in the past. He knows that you get anxious about things in the future. He knows where you have doubts and questions and you don't believe. He knows you, and that's where he shows up. He shows up right in the mess, in the ordinary fishing trips of life, the messy relationships and workplace environments, he shows up. So, so maybe right now today, there are things you're concerned about that other people go, ah, don't worry about that. But he knows that you're concerned. And that's the exact spot he shows up. He knows how difficult it is to be a high school student at Parkland or Upper Saucon. He understands what it's like to walk through the halls and all the pressure there are on high school and college students. He knows, and he shows up right there. He knows and understands what's going on at work, what's going on in temptation. He knows some of you are grieving now because you lost someone you love. He knows some of you are grieving now because relationships are falling apart. And that's where he shows up. Some of you are depressed or suicidal or struggling with addiction. He doesn't avoid those messy places. That's where he shows up. You're struggling to parent. You're struggling in your relationship. You're struggling in your finances. That's where he shows up. You're rejoicing over something wonderful, something great. That's where he shows up. It's right in those ordinary spots and says, let's have breakfast. Let's connect. I want to listen to you. I understand you. I know you. I care about you. It's incredible to think that he's not too important, too spiritual, too busy to show up in the everyday, in the ordinary places. He showed up on a fishing trip for a bunch of guys that are probably sliding backwards. He shows up there, builds a fire, and says, come have breakfast. So we don't expect him to show up on fishing trips. We also don't expect him to gently correct our mistakes because that's not how life happens in humanity. In our face-to-face -face interactions, we're not very gentle. We're not very kind with people. We tend to be abrasive and harsh. So when we think that Jesus is going to show up in my workplace or in my kitchen or in my relationships or in my temptation, in my struggle, we think that he's going to show up and when he sees us making mistakes, when he sees us sinning and making poor decisions, we think he's going to blow us up, treat us harshly. Just imagine Peter. He's had three interactions with the risen Christ up to this moment. Three interactions. The last time he talked to Jesus, Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way. Now, it's got to be running through Peter's head. What's Jesus going to say to me? When's he going to bring it up? He's going to bring it up. He's going to say something. What's going to happen when he brings it up? He's waiting for it. He made a wrong decision, and our imagination runs wild. When God gets a hold of me, when God hears my mistakes, when I repent to him or confess my sins, he's going to be angry with me. But look at how gently Jesus brings this up in verse 15. The last conversation the two of them had, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not. When they had finished eating. This is important. When they had finished eating, because for men on a fishing trip, you don't talk before you eat. Can I get an amen? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You have this one-on-one private interaction. After Peter made a huge mistake, when the heat was turned up, Peter caved in. And now what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to belittle him? Is he going to be harsh with him? Is he going to make him feel badly about what he did or what he said? No, he corrects Peter by asking him questions. Not questions about what he did in the past. Not why it happened or how did this all unfold. A little bit of an investigation on what took place. He asks him a simple question about the here and now. About the present. Not about what's going to happen in the days ahead or what happened in the past. Peter, do you love me? Here and now. Do you love me? Is what he wants an answer to. Yes, you know I love you. Yes, you know I love you. Yes, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus knew it. He knew Peter's heart. He knew the traffic jam of Peter's heart that with the love of Christ was mixed in all kinds of fears and insecurities and brokenness so that when he denied him three times, Jesus understood and got it. And now he's bringing it up, but he's doing it very gently because Jesus knows his children and doesn't treat them harshly. He could have drilled Peter. Because we think with knowledge, when we know something about other people, and if they've done something wrong, our job is to drill them. That's how we do things in human. I mean, if I knew what you were thinking about me right now, if I had all knowledge of this room and I knew your thoughts, I'd go Jersey Joe on you probably some on you, and I'd drill you and be like, you have no idea who I am and why I do what I do. Because with knowledge, when we're offended or hurt or we've done something wrong, we drill people. And that's what you expect is going to happen with Jesus. But he knows his children. He understands Peter and what's going on in Peter's heart. And he doesn't say certain things. He doesn't do certain things because Jesus understands and knows everything about Peter. And you know, sometimes when we make mistakes, not all the time, when we fail and fall, but a lot of times, we know our failures better than anybody else. We know our sin and shame better than the person next to us. They might drill us on it, but we are already drilling ourselves, beating ourselves up. Sometimes we need people to hold up a mirror to us and show us our sin. But even when they show us our sin, is their job then to drill us, belittle us, be harsh with us? But that's what we tend to do. But when we already know our sin, when we already know our failure, when we already feel our failure and sin, should we be drilling people or thinking that that's how God's going to treat us? That's not what he does at all. He asks a simple question do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you, Jesus. And Jesus says, I get it. With everything that Jesus does in this conversation, he understands the traffic jam of Peter's heart, and he goes, 
I get it, Peter. I do know you. I know that you love me. And you might think at this moment that when Peter says, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, that Jesus is going to hear that and go, but you know, you made a mistake, so I've got to put you on the JV team. You've got to stay back a grade. You've got to learn again before you get to play varsity again or before you graduate. You've got to take a step back. Instead, because Jesus knows Peter, he encourages and equips those who love him. That's just how he handles people. Sometimes he convicts you and shows yourself in the mirror, and, and he shows it to you, and it's hard to see, but he does it gently, and he knows how to encourage and equip you to go to the next level, to do the next right thing. I try to imagine the guilt and the shame Peter must have felt in this moment, how much he was beating himself up for making mistakes and failing, and he, Jesus doesn't say, hey, Peter, you made a mistake, you, got, you flunked, you failed, now you're sidelined forever. That's not what he does at all. He encourages and equips Peter and says, I get you, I understand you. Peter, I called you to be a fisher of men. I called you to be a shepherd of sheep. I called you to serve me. I taught you all about me over these last three and a half years that I might send you out, that you might take care of my sheep, take care of my lambs, carry the good news forward. And this is incredible, because you have this guy, Peter, who has been through this journey, who's made these mistakes. Jesus restores him and releases him to serve. And you follow the history of Peter from here. The New Testament makes it clear that Peter is a huge part of starting the church and carrying the good news of Christ forward. All because Jesus knew Peter's shame, understood his love and his traffic jam and his struggle, and treated him with respect and gentleness, convicted him, yes, of sin, but encouraged him and equipped him to move forward as a shepherd. You, you probably know this, but you know, just like Jesus knows Peter's heart, he knows your heart. He sees you. He understands you. He gets you. He knows the traffic jam that happens, the struggle, the pain, the doubt, all of that. He gets you. And when he sees your love for him and he understands that about you, is his job to show you how bad you are? Is that what he does to people? Oh, he'll show, turn the lights up and show you what's going on, but not to treat you heartily, harshly, but to encourage you and equip you. So if you had breakfast with Jesus, here's what I think he would ask you. If you could have a face-to-face, -face, I think he'd ask this one question. Do you love me? I think that's what he would care about knowing. Not do you understand me? Can you prove me? Do you love me? He, he may start out with some of us going, wait, do you believe in me? Because some of you don't believe in him. And he might say, do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm like? Do you know that I'm for you, not against you? But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus today, He's not asking you questions about the past or the future. I think he would look at you and say, do you love me? Right at the core of who you are, right here, right now, do you love me? Can you say right here, right now, I love you, Jesus? And, and I wonder how you would answer. How would you respond to that? You don't have anybody else's answers you can't cheat on anybody else's test. If Jesus asked you that simple question, how would you respond? Do you? And if he asked it three times, would you be bothered by that? 
If he asked you three times, maybe because he sees the traffic jam and the mix and the moments you believe and you don't believe, the moments you love and you don't love, maybe he asks a couple times, not because he doesn't know, but because he wants you to really know what you believe and what you think and feel. If he asked you multiple times, do you love me, would you be bothered by that? And if your answer is yes, I love you, Jesus, then what he wants to do is equip you and empower you to do all that he commands you to do. Because he's the king, he's the Lord, he's the sovereign. He has things for us to do, callings for all of us. They're not like Peter's calling. His calling is unique to him. But he's calling you to do something, to follow him. So maybe you're that student at Parkland or Emmaus or Southern Lehigh. Man, I just have seen this week how hard it is to be in high school in this day and age. And if you love Jesus, what are you supposed to do as a high school student? If you would answer, I love you, Jesus, here's how he would answer to you. I'm going to show up in the hallway of Parkland, and I'm going to walk with you. Will you honor me? If you say you love me, honor me. Honor me with your words. Honor me with your thoughts. If you're an artist or an athlete, honor me. Honor me with how you live. Live like I live. If, if you have a, a job, if you work for someone, and you say, Jesus, I love you. If he'd ask you, Jesus, or Jesus would say to you, do you love me? And you say yes, and you work for someone, you know what he would command you to do? Work as if you're working to serve me, not your boss. If you're an employer today and you have people that work under you, you know what he would say to you if you'd say, yes, I love you? You know what he would say? Treat those who work for you justly. Serve them. Don't wait to be served by them. If you're a parent today and you'd say, yes, I love Jesus, you know what he would say to you? Don't treat your kids harshly. You say you love me? Be patient like I'm patient with you. Be loving like I'm loving with you. Be gracious like I'm being gracious to you. If you're a child today, you know what he would say? He'd say, honor your parents. If you're stealing, you know what he would say to you? You love me, stop stealing. If you're an addict, he would say, if you love me, stop using today. I will show up in the mess. My calling on your life is that you honor me and obey me and follow me. Jesus doesn't blow people up because of our failures. He gently points us out our mistakes and comes alongside us because here's an incredible, simple thing that he says to his disciples. It's this, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if he would ask you today, do you love me? And you would say, yes, I love you. I may not understand everything about you, I may not have all my questions, I may not have all this figured out, but yes, I do love you. And he would say to you, keep my commandments. And his word is full of truth about how you're to act. If you love him, understand that he's going to show up in the basics of life and meet you. He's going to care about you. He's not going to dominate you belittle you. He's not going to treat you harshly. He's going to be gracious with you, and he's going to say, you love me, now obey me. Follow me with your thoughts, with your actions, with your words. What's the next right thing you can do? It's easy for us to get together and all sing to Jesus and say, we love you, Jesus. That's easy. You know what's not easy? Following him. 
obeying him, trusting him. That's why we get together. We praise him and we say we love him together. And we need to walk together in obedience, encouraging each other to follow, encouraging each other to trust, encouraging each other to continue even when our feelings don't match what we believe. Follow him. That's what's great about our church community. It's why we do small groups and men's and women's ministry. It's why we do life together because it's not easy to obey. It's easy to say we love. It's less easy to obey. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. We're obedient to him. Just in a, another week, I want to invite you to come to something. We're going to have another prayer and praise night on April 24th. It's an intimate gathering of our church family where we pray to God and we praise him in a less formal environment. And we're going to be talking together, praying together through this idea of what does it mean to say we love God and we're going to obey him. We're going to pray together that we would love God and obey God. So I would love to have you April 24th at 7 p.m. Let's pray together. Your character is always the same. You're the same Jesus that walked on a beach with Peter 2,000 years ago. You show up on our fishing trips in the particulars of our lives, in our messy kitchens, and our dysfunctional relationships. You show up and you are gentle and you listen and provide for us. You care about us. You understand us and know us. With your knowledge of us, you never blow us up. But you equip and empower your sons and daughters. So help us to be honest about our sin and failures and not fear bringing our sin and failures to you, but to have confidence and trust that you'll help us, you'll sustain us, you'll be patient with us, and that you have more for us to do in this life, that we don't have to listen to our feelings, we don't have to follow our culture, that we're your sons and daughters and we follow you. King of kings and Lord of lords, who knows what's best for us. So, King Jesus, rule our hearts and our minds. Rule our mouths and our hands, our feet. Free us from temptation today to trust you, to obey you, to love you. I ask this in Christ's strong name. Amen.